Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. That was the first time I had ever fainted. I guess finding out within a matter of minutes that I had lost seven years of my past. And in that time, my brother, father, and fiance has that effect. I was a displaced person. I had been plucked from the earth, and just like that, things grew over my place so that I had nowhere to return and nowhere to go. I didn't just lose my past, I lost my future. I woke up in the ambulance on my way to the hospital. I frantically asked what was happening, but I just kept being told everything was okay and that I needed to calm down. When I tried to fight, they sedated me. And though not losing full consciousness, I was overcome with an artificial warmth that knocked the hysteria right out of me. After a brief exam, the doctor ordered some tests, but he said he believed I was physically fine and that I just had a panic attack. As he was explaining this to me, my mother barged into the hospital room. I had seen her just three days ago when we were shopping for my wedding dress, but, and by then I was completely sold on the idea, she hadn't seen me in seven years. Not only had she not seen me, but she thought I was dead. She nearly knocked the doctor over as she raced to me and wrapped me in her arms. She wailed tears of joy, and I cried too. Not because I missed her, I couldn't, after only seeing her a few days prior, but because she was mom. She was a constant in a world that was no more real to me than a daydream. She was mom before I was lost, and she was mom after. I tried to explain to her what happened, and I did the same with the police. As a result, they moved me to the psych ward and pumped me with meds that didn't change anything but made me sleep most of the day. At first, I insisted that what happened to me was real, but after a week, all I wanted to do was go home. Maybe I had lost my mind. What did it even matter to insist that I had really traveled through time? So, I acquiesced and began to tell them I believed I must have run off, but I had lost all memory of how it happened or where I'd been. The police weren't successful in tracking my whereabouts for the last seven years, but I was safe 
so they weren't going to waste any more resources on my case. Eventually, I was transferred to outpatient care, mainly because my mother demanded I return home, and the hospital determined I was stable and not a danger to myself. The car ride back was quiet. I wanted to connect with my mother, but such an important part of me now had to be kept a secret. I still found her presence comforting, but that's all I craved, her presence. Your cousin, Ariana, had a baby tonight, she mentioned casually. She's in the hospital if you want to visit after you settle in. That's okay, I muttered, my limp gaze staring out the foggy car window. Ariana and I had been close. All right, we'll stay in. We'll watch a movie, pop some popcorn, just like we used to... You should go, I interrupted lifelessly. Mom loved babies. You don't have to watch me. I knew how ridiculous that sounded for me, the woman who had vanished seven years ago. I probably wouldn't be able to pee again without Mom waiting outside the bathroom door. We arrived at the house. Not much had changed since I had last been there. Unlike my home smell, which had been tainted with that loathsome apple spice, this house still smelled just as I remembered. No, it wasn't some label on a candle. It just smelled like my childhood home, a scent I couldn't appreciate until I left for college long enough to become sensitized to it. The scent of childhood nostalgia. Luca, my mom's dog, a little white ball of fur that had been about three when I vanished, ran up to us barking a fit. I squatted down to greet him, but he ran behind my mother's legs and began to tremble. Oh, Luca, that's your big sister. Don't you remember? Mom asked. It seemed like the little guy was the only one who understood my secret. I didn't belong here. My living arrangement seemed designed to further disorient me. I had found myself seven years in the future, but I lived in many ways as if I had gone seven years back. My childhood room had not been touched since I left for college. Just before I disappeared, my parents had plans to convert it into something else. That all changed when I vanished. Without a body to bury, the room had remained frozen, a memorial to my existence. A powerful wave of nostalgia beamed from the room with the signature creak and dragging of the door along the high pile carpet. My eye caught the hole on the side of the door, facing into my room. Tony and I had accidentally put that there, play fighting, when we were maybe 12 and 13. I thought back to that powerful sensation I felt on the hike just before everything went still. I couldn't quite label it, and the closest I'd come to was to call it the strongest deja vu I had ever felt. Once I returned to my childhood bedroom, I could add a new element to the mysterious feeling. Nostalgia. Not the general idea of thinking back to the past. No, those are just memories. It was true nostalgia, where you could almost feel yourself transport to that time, where you could see that moment in your mind's eye and remember exactly what it was like to be you before all the things that had happened had turned you into someone else. A sound, a smell, even a taste could act as a time portal of sorts, bringing you back into your past consciousness. I felt what it was like to be Lindy at 16 walking into her room after soccer practice, 
The phenomenon of nostalgia isn't a mere recollection of the past. It is a window into a past state of being. It lasts seconds, if that. And as soon as you try too hard to grab onto it, to make it real, the present latches on and roughly drags you right back. The thought flashed briefly that perhaps the overwhelming feeling of nostalgia was a bending of time and space of sorts, limited by the physics of the corporeal being. Maybe what I felt at the moment, I lost Devin, that heady mix of deja vu and nostalgia, was me somehow pushing through that final barrier. The walls of my room were all still covered with my writings and drawings. My bedspread was still the same dark purple one I tucked myself into throughout high school. Soccer trophies still lined the top of the hutch on my desk. A hideous oak monstrosity from the 90s. Pictures of me with my old friends were tucked into the mirror frame over my dresser. Their ends curled and the images dulled from the sun. I had bracelets somewhere in this room we had braided in a vow to never break our friendships. Now, I knew nothing of their present lives. The time after I returned to my mother's home was when the truly hard part began. I hadn't even seen Devin since he made sure I was safe in the hospital on the night of my reappearance. I tried touching base with a few of those friends in the photos, but I couldn't connect with them any longer. They were seven years ahead of me, and knowing what I knew, they felt like strangers. I also learned my position at the museum was long passed on to someone else. Not that it would be reasonable to expect your position to sit vacant for almost a decade. Everything was familiar, but alien. There was no place for me any longer. On top of that, shortly after settling into my mother's house, my mom seemed to think I was sane enough to drip more of the details about the circumstances surrounding my disappearance. I learned the full devastation left behind by my absence. Tony, who had gotten clean and started a new life in the years before my vanishing, backslid due to grief. At first, my disappearance was a singular focus. He searched and pleaded for me on the local news and put up flyers all over town. Eventually, as time passed and not a single clue emerged, helplessness and anger sunk in. Tony grew suspicious of Devin. My presumed death and the betrayal he felt from Devin launched him into an aggressive relapse. He went back to the needle, lost his job, and sunk into the dangerous lifestyle he had led before he got sober. He was just lost without you. You know, you always made sure he was on track. My mother's weak smile was a thin mask for the pain on her face. I think he thought he failed you. I tried to tell him that what you would have wanted more than anything was for him to stay clean, to succeed in life. But you know Tony, he was always... She rolled her eyes and made a playful, choking gesture with both hands to the air to indicate how much Tony could be. My brother required stability to thrive. My vanishing put his world into chaos. He died of an overdose about two years after I was gone. My father, who by no means shied away from more socially acceptable vices, went into a deep depression from the loss of his only two children. 
He grew frail and sick and died of a heart attack. My mother, left alone, struggled both emotionally and financially after the tremendous loss she experienced. Seven years is a lot of time, but she had aged double that since I left. Since my return, everyone had come to the consensus that I had some sort of psychotic break, an amnesia or fugue state that had erased the last seven years from my memory the way ocean water erases writing in sand. It wasn't a perfect answer, and it didn't explain everything, but it was enough. I didn't want to break my mom's heart with my story, in her eyes a confirmation of my insanity, but it was the truth. Yes, sweetie, she told me whenever I would force her to listen to my retellings of what had happened. Though her eyes were glassy and hollow, I could tell she would accept anything I said, as long as she could have me back. The thing I hadn't fully considered, seeing as his life looked like the perfect little American dream, was the full aftershock of my disappearance for Devin. I understood why he hadn't reached out to me since my return. And to be fair, I didn't contact him. But it hurt like pure hell. My case had become quite the regional news story when it happened. And in the years after, true crime web communities and podcasters picked up on my mysterious disappearance. When Mom informed me of this, curiosity struck and I searched my case. The fiancé did it. That was the leading theory in nearly every form. After all... We were alone in a vast preserve with rocky cliffs and miles of untouched land. The fact that I was never found didn't deter people from thinking Devin had either found a way to hide me somewhere before leaving, or that he threw me in the trunk and buried me at another location. I couldn't help but laugh to myself. Unlike them, I knew Devin, and he was the greatest guy I had ever known. I thought back at the irony of him timing our hike so we didn't get caught out there in the dark only for all this to happen. That was Devin, always looking out for me, always tempering my wandering mind without ever shaming me. He was my anchor. The idea that he savagely murdered me during our hike was almost comical. However, nothing was funny about the police harassing him and the media following him. Countless shows dedicated to my story painted him as the main suspect. It made sense to the outside observer. Where else could I have gone? Luckily for Devin, he had just enough evidence on his side to protect him from prosecution. The timestamp on the pictures he took of me by the tree in his call to 911. There wouldn't have been enough time for him to kill me, perfectly hide my body, and make that call back at the car. There was also no blood in the trunk or anything to indicate a dead body had been stored in the vehicle. There was no motive. We were really happy. We hadn't finalized the life insurance policies we had researched in preparation for our lives together. Finally, if you've ever watched SVU or any other crime show, you'd know that the big kahuna for prosecutors, my dead body, was never found. It didn't matter, though. Devin had the stain of my disappearance on his name. No matter what he did, People would shape the narrative to make it support his guilt. He didn't cry enough, and when he did cry, it appeared staged. He lawyered up early on, 
I would expect nothing less as he was in law school, and any lawyer would tell you to request counsel the second the cops wanted to question you. In the eyes of the public, it signaled he had something to hide. Years later, the fact that he moved on to a pretty new girlfriend and then moved into our house solidified his guilt in the eyes of many. When I asked my mother why she thought he didn't move, she had no answer. With a look of shame, she said, I hadn't talked to him in years. I thought he did it too. Then, there were the nightmares. I guess that's what I would call them. No, I didn't dream of monsters or gore. There weren't screams or cries. At least three times a week, I would dream of that shape I saw on the hike. I would watch the giant installation, standing alone in the dry grass. The occasional low breeze would blow over the plains, and the grass would rustle. A bird or grasshopper would chirp here and there. It was mostly silent, an eerie, soulless silence. A reminder of my last real day of existence. That was the dream, just that warped collection of intertwined metal amidst the vast landscape. A quiet that anticipated disaster. The feeling that catastrophe was always looming, but I could do nothing to stop it. It was quiet torture. I would wake up in a cold sweat, living in the disaster that awaited me in the dream. A sudden and ferocious urge to sketch the monstrosity would come over me. It was the only art I could create, as I had lost all passion for it. I soon found that the more I drew the installation, the more infrequent the dream. Pages and pages of pads were filled with sketches of this shape, sometimes against the backdrop of distant mountains, sometimes in a void of black or etched on a tree, sometimes hundreds of them floating on one page. I hid them all under my matches for fear that if my mother found them, she would send me back to the doctor. An obsession with this mysterious shape did not testify to a healthy mind. Whose mind would be healthy after what I had been through anyway? I tried to stop sketching the thing, but whenever I did, the dream returned. As days and then months passed, I had accepted this new reality, but it didn't get any easier. I was a person out of place and time, a mismatched piece of a complicated jigsaw puzzle. I didn't fit here. Everything was familiar, but every part of my life that I knew before was just a smidgen different. Even my mother, who remained the most consistent, was irrevocably changed by the traumas she endured. Mom always seemed scared to lose me again. My physical presence was treated as temporal, as though I could disappear whenever I wasn't in her sight. My mental fortitude, even more so. She was so afraid that my thin thread of sanity would snap, that she treated me with the fragility that kept us from the closeness we once had. My mom used to have a robust personality and a laugh that could shake a room. She was one for playful ribbing. Now she was so worn, I felt I could almost see right through her. The local community had started GoFundMe to help me get back on my feet as soon as the news broke of my reappearance, and it afforded me some time to think about how I would re-enter this life. <laughs> 
In all honesty, I didn't think about it much at all. I was irrelevant. I had jumped into the future, but rewound my lifestyle, living like a teenager in most ways. I lived in my childhood bedroom, in my childhood home, rudderless, with a mother who desperately wanted to connect with a daughter who thought she could never understand what she was going through. As a teenager, though, there is that glimmer of hope that soon you'll be grown up and you'll build a life you want, forge your own identity. Well, I had already done that and lost it all. I was too tired to do it again. Now I was just a living ghost haunting the future. So, I just slept a lot, watched TV, and browsed the internet in an attempt to catch up on cultural references and events I'd missed while pretending to look for a job. I think my mom knew I was bullshitting about the latter, but didn't press me. Maybe you assume something like this makes you appreciate time. You'll understand its value and work in a frenzied rush to rebuild and reestablish your existence in the world. All it did for me was make the passing of time feel worthless and irrelevant. The only other person who was present the evening I went missing was Devin. He was the only one who could help me feel real again. I wanted to reach out to him, but he had a new life, and I knew my presence was an intrusion at best, the triggering of a trauma at worst. As far as he was concerned, I was a crazy ex who up and left without a word had ruined his life. I didn't blame him for staying away, though I desperately wished I could tell him what happened again, without my hysteria and his wife hovering over us, and for him to really hear and believe me. Eventually, Devin didn't stay away. He came back to me on the one-year anniversary of my reappearance. When I woke up that morning, the significance of the day weighed in the air. I didn't want to talk about it, but I could feel the prolonged glances from my mother as she wrestled with whether to bring it up. I spared her the internal battle by locking myself up in my room. When nightfall came, she gently tapped on the door and spoke without opening. Gil called from the diner. They want me to pick up a shift. It wasn't a question, but it felt like she was asking for permission. I was glad for her to go so I could breathe. Go ahead, Mama. I'll be fine. Oh, okay. Instantly, I felt guilty about the way I'd shut her out. I ran over to the door and pulled it open to find her dragging her feet down the hall. She turned when she heard me. Mom, I'm going to be fine. Promise. It's just another day. Thanks for everything. She smiled and nodded. I'll be home after midnight. I smiled and nodded back. After she left, I moved myself into the living room, which had the better TV. I sat at home, alone in the dark, catching up on a hit show that had released after my disappearance. A few hours in, the window beside me flooded with light, and I pulled aside the curtain. On the other end of the window pane, dotted with fresh raindrops, was a car parked in the driveway. I sat up as my mother's little dog, who had grown to tolerate me since my return, but never quite gave me the affection he used to, ran to the door, yapping at the visitor. 
Once my eyes adjusted, I recognized the car. Devin had bought it just a few months before I left. I slipped on a jacket and boots and stepped outside into the unusually frigid and rainy Southern California night. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. I walked over to the driver's side and saw Devin seated there, his eyes clenched shut, his fingers gripping the steering wheel, and I knocked. He jumped at the sound before looking over at me, still contemplating what to do next. Finally, he opened the window. You still have the car, I said. It took him a second to register the thought. Oh, yeah. Figured I should keep her as long as she could run. I offered a half smile and he tensely returned the favor. Then we stood there for a few awkward seconds. Lind, I'm sure this is weird. I wasn't sure if I should knock or... Your mother isn't always a fan these days. I've heard. She's also not home. And she's sorry. He raised his eyebrows. I bet... We locked eyes for a moment, and then there was just the rhythmic squeaking of his windshield wipers and the pattering of rain. Devin seemed out of sorts until he realized I was standing out in the elements. His concern for me jolted him out of the fog. You want to sit inside? It's cold out there. I could have invited him into the house, but I liked being outside. Most of my days since I returned were spent hiding indoors. At first, the press had latched onto the case and spent a few days camping outside my mother's house. Fortunately, and unfortunately, things had died down when they realized I didn't want to talk. And then some little girl disappeared, turning the news cycle away from my sad story. After that, I realized it wasn't just the media attention keeping me in isolation. So, how's your family? It hurt to push each of those words out. I didn't really want to know. I hope things were great for him, but I didn't want to hear about the life I had lost. Devin didn't look at me. I'm not even sure he heard me. Instead, he put the car in drive before blurting out, Can we go for a ride? Do you mind? That was something Devin always did. He had to be in perpetual motion, as if his brain would stop working if his body wasn't moving. I used to affectionately call him a shark. It wasn't uncommon for him to suggest we go for a drive or walk if we were going to have an important discussion or deliberate important plans. 
We drove without a word for a few moments that felt like minutes. Devin was, in most ways, a stranger to me now. I knew I certainly was to him. I never had to think about what to say to him in the past. Our chemistry had always been so natural. Instinctively, I felt that I knew why he was here. It had been a year since I walked into what I thought was our home. To the day, I learned that the world I knew had continued on without me. It had been eight years since we went for that hike and lost each other. Intellectually, I had accepted that Devin had built a new life. I didn't resent him for that. But I had wondered nearly every day since if he had thought of me, if he had truly moved on. We never had a goodbye. We never reconciled our past. In many ways, it must have felt to him as if I was still missing. Yet, he was now beside me, and I knew why. I was the only other person who could truly understand what happened to us, and he was finally ready to talk. Though we both lived as strangers now, what we had was special, and it deserved a proper burial. I'm sorry, I yucked out. My mom, she told me what she went through. I'm sorry you had to go through that. I just want to say that. I know you have a life now, and I didn't want to intrude. Devin cut me off, his sentence breathlessly rushing out like water from a breach dam as he raised his hand to stop me. Lind, Lind, I believe you. I froze, processing the meaning of those three words. I believe you. A sob sputtered out from my chest, but I managed to hold back the eruption of tears. This had been a lonely road. At the very best, people pitied me. They believed I believed my story, but no one had ever uttered the words Devin had just spoke. I felt my body release trapped tension I didn't even realize I had been holding since the day I reappeared. I had been marooned in a world that was mine, but not quite mine. I was only allowed to exist here. Under the condition, I play along with the conventional wisdom that I had wandered off to live a mystery life. Devin uttering those three words was the first sign of relief from the terrifying and confusing loneliness I had experienced since this whole thing transpired. I knew I was telling the truth. I knew I wasn't crazy, but all I could think to ask the only word I could produce while holding back the body-shaking sobs I felt pulsing inside my chest was, why? Devin shouldn't believe me. What happened was impossible. Devin pulled over onto the shoulder of a dark wooded road so that he could look at me. I have gone over that day in my head every day for years. I'd go to sleep every night asking myself where the fuck you went. I have nightmares where that fucking Beach Boys song plays over and over on a loop. Wouldn't it be nice? He snickered at the irony. If I ever hear it playing overhead in a store, I, I get lightheaded and have to rush out. I have... Devin choked up. Even in the dark, I could see his face go red. 
people looked at me like I killed you. He enunciated those last words through a pained grimace. And I knew, I knew if you were out there, alive, she wouldn't have let them think that. I thought she had to be dead, and then all I could do was blame myself for failing to protect you. But it didn't make sense. You were right there. You were right fucking there. I know. I turned my back for a few seconds, and then you were gone. We said in unison. We locked our melancholy gazes in a moment of quiet understanding. And now, since you came back, I've been up every night racking my brain. You had on the same clothes from seven years ago, and they still looked fresh. The look in your eyes, the sheer, genuine confusion, your attitude, he chuckled, though his eyes welled up with tears. You weren't unwell. I could tell you were the same person I lost. You were Lindy, not a shell of yourself. That was all you right there in front of me, like you were stuck in a time capsule somewhere. You acted exactly as you would have. All those things you said happened did happen. It couldn't have. It makes no sense. But if you were there like we were, it's the only thing that actually does make sense. There he was again. The Devon I knew before I, he, had vanished. He wasn't a distant stranger anymore. He was warm, familiar. He was the person I left behind. It was all I ever wanted to hear from him, and it filled me with a mix of relief and hopelessness. I still loved him. I was still getting over us a year later. My heart wouldn't agree to these new terms, this new existence. He had time to mourn. He had time to rebuild. I was suspended in that stupid hike. My body persisted, but my mind, my heart, it stayed in the past. I understood that Devin was no longer mine. I, I did, but it didn't make the pain any less raw. I'm sorry, I said, embarrassed by my tears. Hey, Devin whispered. He reached over and wiped away a tear. We both locked into the powerful intimacy of the moment, our eyes only catching for a millisecond, and he pulled his hand back gently so as not to embarrass me. All I wanted to do was grab his hand and hold my cheek to his palm to let my tears soak his fingers. I just wanted to be loved by him again. But that time had long passed. I don't know what to do. I miss you. I know it's not your fault, but you... You have another life now. It took years for you to rebuild. But for me... We could have just gotten married a couple months ago. I never lost you. You didn't vanish for years. You have always been... I had to just come home to her living the life I was supposed to have.
that was supposed to be my future in that house. Our pictures on the mantle. Maybe even her baby. Devin couldn't look me in the eyes. He didn't say he missed me. He didn't profess his love for me. Instead, he hung his head quietly and nodded. I felt awful for making him feel guilty after everything he'd already been through. But he was the only person who could understand. He was my best friend, and I needed him to listen to my pain. As the quiet persisted, I tried to lighten things. You've aged well. He looked at me sideways, and my heart fluttered. You haven't aged at all. We both chuckled through stuffy noses. I asked him about what he did for a living now. He had finished law school and worked as a defense attorney. It wasn't something he had considered when we were together, but after what he had been through, he grew a passion for defending the wrongfully accused. And, um, your wife? I asked. Each syllable felt like a screwdriver twisting into my chest. But I was curious. He had artfully managed to avoid speaking about his new family, and I knew he was being sensitive to my emotions, but I had to know. He swallowed before looking at me. I'm sorry, Lind. I waited. No. I raised my hands to stop him. Don't apologize. There is nothing to be sorry for. I kept my stare locked on his glossy eyes, waiting for him to answer. She, uh, Stacy's a nice person. I met her through a friend. She didn't judge me for what happened. I'd been on one, actually two dates before. I felt like an oddity. They were more interested in what had happened than me. It's like they were rubbernecking or even worse. Maybe thought I did something to you but could save me. You know, like those women who write love letters to serial killers in prison. He rolled his eyes in disgust. But when I met her, she instantly made me feel seen. She's just a kind person, he said with a shrug, boiling her down to that one simple but highly important trait. She's a good wife and an excellent mom. She's everything a husband could ask for in a wife. She used to be a hairstylist, but now she stays at home with Willow. I forced a resigned smile. I was so happy for him, but so, so sad for myself. But Devin's voice trailed and he stopped as though I shouldn't to it the rest. Maybe I could. Maybe it was cruel, but I wanted to hear it. What is it? A tear slid down his cheek. I reached over the center console and rested my hand on top of his. You can tell me. He shook his head. If I had known you'd be back, I would have waited all this time. People would always ask me why I didn't just pack up and leave. Why not start fresh so I wouldn't get the dirty looks every time I went to the grocery store? I would say I loved it here, that I refused to be bullied or run out of town. But the real reason I never left is because of you. 
because I kept hoping you'd show up at our door again. I refused to sell the house no matter how much it hurt to have memories of you everywhere. But then a year passed, and then another, and another. He winced through his words. She's a great person, and I love her, but... He hesitated again, and I waited for his next words to come in a ragged breath. It's not the same. He shook his head, and this time repeated a little more clearly. It's not the same. I hugged him, and he fiercely reciprocated. We didn't let go for a while and gripped each other as if the force that separated us before would sweep in and do it again. No, we didn't kiss. We both knew that time had passed. Devin was decent, and that's what I loved about him. He had committed to his wife and child. We hadn't abandoned each other. It was time that had abandoned us. Time had stolen our future. There was no way to get back what we lost, even if it was all right within our grasp. I was the extra puzzle piece. Someone else fit into my place. Perhaps not as perfectly as I had. Perhaps the seams not as tight, or the images perfectly aligned. But it was enough. The picture of my life, the house, the husband, the quiet, content life, was varnished and framed, and there was no swapping me in. I'll always love you, I whispered. I felt him nod against my neck. He didn't have to say it back. That would be disloyal to his wife. He had to get back home. Young fathers can't be absent for long. As we drove back, he asked me what I was going to do. I don't know. I... I feel so lost, I answered. I've lost everything. I keep trying to do this. Live this new life, but none of it feels real. Or maybe it's that I don't feel real. Devin pulled up to my driveway, put the car in park, and took a deep breath. Listen, I came to tell you something else. I wanted to talk to you first and, and fill you out because honestly, it's sort of crazy. No, no, it's absolutely, unequivocally crazy. I know this is gonna sound insane, but after you left, when I was searching for answers, I went through kind of a conspiracy period. You know, the whole put up a board with red string thing. I grinned, but I was seriously interested. Remember those symbols that were all around the park that day? You had pointed them out to me. Yes, I quizzically responded. My heart thudded. The dreams. The drawings. I held on to that information, wanting to know what he thought without my influence and still insecure about divulging that I had hundreds upon hundreds of hidden sketches under my bed. I looked everywhere 
trying to understand what they meant. Whenever I mentioned it to the police, they shrugged me off. I thought maybe a cult took you or something like that. They laughed in my face. I mean, they actually laughed it off. Mocked me. I was their guy. I was deflecting. And they weren't interested in symbols and cults. And? Is there a cult? Well, you had mentioned the curator. You said you were going to ask her about the sculptures. Asia? Yes, her. I finally convinced her to talk to me. And let me tell you, it really took some convincing. At that time, no one wanted to be even near me. I asked her about it. She said she didn't know anything about that statue. That she had never even heard of the trail. But she would look around for me. I thought she was just blowing me off. But she sent me an email about a week later saying that all she knew was a family used to live there a really long time ago and that they had all left that stuff behind. They lived in the park? Well, here's the thing. It it wasn't always public land. With that clue, I, I went to the library to see if I could find any local historic records. I could only find one thing, and it was buried deep in the archives. An article on microfiche. There was a family who once lived on that part of the land hundreds of years ago. They were forced off of it. They put a hex on it. They said if anything was built on that land, the hex would be, I don't know, activated? I know it sounds insane, Linz. No, it actually doesn't. I laughed incredulously because it made more sense to me than any other explanation I had been forced to swallow. He adjusted in his seat to lean toward me with newfound confidence to divulge his theory. Hear me out. Those people put up that monolith sculpture. It was them who carved those runes, or whatever you want to call them, on the trees and rocks. People thought they were into the occult or something. They lived in isolation. They only really spoke to each other. Barely ever left the land as they were pretty much self-sustaining. The article only glossed over it all. But there was a dispute over the rights and the deeds on the property. Apparently, they had been there for generations, but legally, the paperwork was non-existent or didn't hold up. My face must have expressed that I took him seriously, because Devin leaned in closer and continued. No one built anything on that land for a long time, until the early 70s. You remember the wreck area? The picnic benches? The little outdoor theater? It had become a popular spot for families, but not long after it went up, there were disappearances. People thought there was a serial killer or kidnapper and just stopped visiting the trail. The stories died down. The area got more developed. More trails were carved. Newer wreck areas were built. The demographics of the town changed, and the story was mostly forgotten. 
I don't think anyone ever connected the dots before. The old curse and the trail. So it became a barely visited, unkempt area, and then the fire shut it down. I think that's what it wanted. For people to leave the land alone. It? I asked. What happened to you? Us? It's not... Devin paused to calculate his words. It's not in the realm of what we understand. So is it that unbelievable? I shook my head. There was no such thing as impossible any longer. Did you ever go back? I asked. Yes. To search for you. Many times. Nothing ever happened. But here's the important part. It's one of the reasons why I came today. The date you disappeared was the anniversary of the forcible removal of the family from their land. The other people who disappeared? Both of them also disappeared on today's date. Different years. One was a kid, a nine-year-old boy. Another was a 21-year-old woman. None of the other stupid podcasts or news stations picked up on this. Why would they look that deep when I was the easy target? The other disappearances were so long ago, their names hardly pop up on a Google search. They were just lost to time. Unless anyone bothered to connect all those random dots, they'd never see the pattern. And even if they did, who'd believe them? Well, there was just one asshole who grouped you with the park disappearances all over the country and hinted that Sasquatch took you. But Lind, my gut tells me there is significance in the history, in the symbols, even in today's date. I wanted to believe Devin had uncovered the key to solving my predicament. But I was scared to give in to hope. Not every problem has a solution. Perhaps it was the reason I had lost seven years. But what if there was no way of getting it back? It would be more painful to have new hopes dashed than to just accept my permanent, tragic fate. Devin persisted. I wrestled with coming here to see you. There's so much to unpack. To be honest, I thought you'd think I was crazy. Then I sat today and thought about us. I mean, really allowed myself to think about who we were, what we had, in a way I hadn't since you returned. I knew I had to tell you. You could say I lost my fucking mind and that's fine. But I needed you to know I believe you. And that I looked for you. That when I couldn't find you, I spent days and months trying to figure it out. That I had to swallow my pride and beg for help from people who looked at me and saw a murderer. I tried everything to find you. Devin drew a weary sigh. 
It was clear my return had stirred up demons he had tried to smother. When you didn't come back for years, I shoved the harebrained theories away. I told myself I was trying to put together a story to make sense of it all. But Linz, then you did come back and suddenly the impossible became possible. You swore that something weird had happened out there, something supernatural even. So when I say I believe you, I really do. I nodded and returned a prostrate smile. Dev, I don't think you're crazy. In fact, ever since I found myself here, in this time, I have had this recurring dream about the statue. It haunts me. I can't get it out of my head. I have so many drawings. My voice trailed off. I just thought maybe it was because I was stuck in that moment. That it was a symbol of my past. Maybe my mind wanted to go back there to a moment before it all changed. But maybe it's more than that. It can't be a coincidence, Linz. Those symbols hold meaning. They hold weight. If the supernatural is real, if that hex is real, then they must be powerful tokens. What if you're being called back to it? I was so scared of that location. I had so much trauma wrapped into it. I thought I would never return to it again. Linz, Maybe you can find a way to get back. It's the day I lost you. Maybe you can go back to the spot and reverse it. Or if this can't be undone, at least you know how this could have happened. He reached over and gripped my hands, locking his eyes onto mine to convey complete sincerity. You aren't crazy. You don't have... Amnesia. Something happened to us out there. I nodded in tearful acknowledgement. We gazed at each other, hopefully, painfully. Maybe I could go back and erase all of this. Maybe I could get my future back. Devin glanced at the dash and winced. I have to go. I knew one way or the other, we wouldn't see each other again. Goodbye, I said. Goodbye. I stepped back out into the brisk, wet weather and stood in front of his car. The headlights blinded me from the details of his face. I could only see his silhouette and the sideways rain that fell between us. I gave him one last wave. He did the same just before he pulled away. I stood in the dark as the misty rain washed over me. What was this existence?
I didn't want to be here, trapped in an alternate version of my life. I had been a passenger in this nightmarish ride. But at that moment, I decided I would finally take control again. And the first glimpse of clarity and purpose I had since I had ended up in this new world, I ran up the stairs into my mom's house and scribbled a note. Mom, I love you. You are the best. I'll be okay. Please take care of yourself. Love, Lindy. I grabbed the keys to my brother's car that she'd kept stored in the garage. I let out a delirious laugh of relief when it started. I looked up. Thank you, Tony. I mouthed. I raced through the dark, unusually damp Southern California night, up those winding roads, past so many places and things that were familiar, but just a little different. I drove up to the park, but it was closed, just as it was seven years ago. Again, it didn't stop me. I trudged through the slimy earth, shakily guiding my footsteps with a flashlight. I passed the old picnic tables, the amphitheater, down the open path, past the statue, slipped along the dark cliff sides. Finally, I arrived at the tree. I was scared, but now I was always a little scared, just as anyone would be if they were dropped in the middle of an unknown world. I retraced my steps. I felt the tree for the carving. It was still there. I ran my fingers over it, felt that spark, felt that eerie feeling. I turned around and I ran back down toward the path where I lost him. I didn't know if it would work, but I retraced every step. There was no alternative. It was this or purgatory. Through heavy breaths, I searched my phone for that song and I pressed play. I didn't know if it mattered, but I was determined to replicate as much of the scene as I could. The muffled lyrics of Wouldn't It Be Nice played from my pocket as I sang along between gasps of air, tears, and chuckles of disbelief. The hairs on my body stood up as I felt the darkness around me, infinite, boundless, consuming. If I turned off the flashlight, I might as well be in outer space. When I stopped to catch my breath, the sudden urge to do so came. I clicked the flashlight off. The sky glittered with swaths of stars resembling pixie dust. The rain stopped abruptly like a stage handler in the sky pulled a lever to stop the effect. Instant silence blanketed the vast openness, except for the song playing on my phone. This was a sign. It had to be. My flashlight wouldn't turn back on. 
Come on, I shouted as I knocked it against my palm. It didn't respond, and I was forced to use my phone to guide me. I raggedly jogged down the open road, beginning to sense I had failed as tears rolled down my cheeks. The song played on a loop as I now wept somberly and sang what little I could between shuddered breaths. I wasn't sure where exactly on the path Devin and I had lost each other, but I kept marching forward, hoping something would change. I'd blink and be back with Devin, waiting for him to finish peeing. Come on! I shouted frantically, pacing around where I thought the location of my disappearance might be. Take me back! My head began to spin. That potent deja vu feeling started to surface. In the dark, and combined with the panic, it was overbearing. I lost my footing and slipped in the mud, hearing a loud thwack against my skull. It's her! As I opened my eyes through the fog of blurred vision, I could see that it was light out. Based on the cool air and orange glow on the horizon, it was early morning. The jumble of voices around me seemed to anger the thrashing demon of pain where I'd hit my head. Give her some room, someone else said. I was disoriented and utterly exhausted so much so that I could barely keep my eyes open. A strange man in a hunting jacket spoke to me, but I couldn't focus on more than two words stringed together. Crackling voices from walkie-talkies conversed in the background, the roaring of ATVs growing louder as they approached from a distance. Then I heard him, the voice that represented home. Lind? Lind? Devin, I managed to call out. The EMTs were in our way, insisting that I needed medical care, but I fought them off and ran into Devin's arms so hard that I knocked him to the ground, landing on top of him. I sobbed into his chest as he held me. I knew I was back. I could feel it. Though I was covered in mud, the earth around me was dry, just as I had originally left it. This was a different time. I had made it back. I was taken to the hospital for observation. Devin rode with me, and on the ride, I learned I was missing for a week. Back in the other timeline, reality, whatever you want to call it, eight total years had passed with my disappearance and the year I had spent languishing after my return. Devin informed me that five days in, the official search had ended, but my family organized their own search parties and were starting a new day when someone found me lying right there in the middle of the open path. Tony, Dad, are they okay? 
He seemed taken aback by my tone and the specific direction of my question. I was the one to be worried about. Yeah, they're going to meet us at the hospital. Tony was with your parents who were organizing things from home and he was headed over to help search, but he was running late. Yep, that's Tony. I couldn't contain my tears of relief. I was surprised to see my family as I entered the emergency room. They lived right by the closest hospital. I got up from my wheelchair, ignoring the protestations of the nurse, and we all embraced into one big knot of family. I pulled away and looked at Tony, and we pulled each other into one of those hugs that actually feels more like a collision. I was going to have to figure out what to get to have myself, he joked. We need to get you checked out, Devin quietly insisted. We have to be sure you're okay. I nodded and took a look at my mom. My heart ached for the things I hoped she would never know. I hugged her. I love you, Mama, I said. She brushed my hair back. Go get checked out, honey. When you get out, I'm going to make you all your favorites, okay? I smiled and turned away quickly, hoping they wouldn't see me burst into tears. I knew they were scared, but they couldn't understand how much I had missed them all. How I had mourned them. Devin slept next to my side at the hospital while he observed me. He insisted that he never lost hope. But I already knew that. When he and the doctors asked where I had been or how I had gotten lost or how I ended up with a jacket I hadn't worn on the hike, I said I couldn't remember and maybe I found the jacket. And the head injury supported that. This time... I didn't care about explaining the truth. No one would believe it anyway. And I was just happy to be back. I thought about the future Devin and I had met. I wondered if I had erased him now that I'd gone back and changed our history. I hoped that meant my mother would never have to come back to that note and never experience the loss of those she loved the most. Maybe Devin would eventually insist on more answers. And maybe one day I could tell him of my experience. Though, if I had learned anything from my year in the future, it was that no one believes these things. They'll always find a way to explain it away. This Devin had only missed me for a week. He hadn't gone through the pain of losing me for years being accused of my murder and becoming desperate for any answer to make sense. Getting lost in a head injury made more sense than a hex, that's for damn sure. Devin picked me up the day I was discharged from the hospital. He excitedly said he made dinner for us, which was a pleasant surprise as Devin hardly could manage a grilled cheese. My week was already filled with plans to visit my parents and friends but this night was for us to reconnect and get a good night's rest. I was so ecstatic to be heading back home after an ordeal no one could fathom. Back to a home that was mine again. 
wherever that future blonde wife of his was. I hoped she'd find a happy life with someone else. Someone who loved her as passionately as Devin loved me. Devin helped me up the porch stairs and opened the door to our home. I let out a sigh of relief. It all looked right. There was no potted plant. The teal sectional sofa was still new. There were no baby blankets, no evidence of a perky new wife. It all looked just as I had left it. I was home again. Truly. I scrunched my nose at the smell, though. What's that? I asked. It's my famous lasagna, Devin replied. No, not that. The fragrance. Your what? Devin's face lit up. Apple spice. Your favorite. I ran to Yankee Candle just to make sure we had some fresh ones waiting for you. My heart plummeted. I walked over to the mantle. If I didn't look too closely, it was just how I had left it. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.